Welcome back to the Nerd Nest Podcast. It's me, Bill. Then we've got Carrie, we've got Russ, uh, Rich, and Kyle are busy doing stuff today. So we're what you get, and we're all wearing red. Uh, Russ noticed as soon as he hopped in. This was not pre-planned, but I think, I don't know, maybe we'll make it a thing. Uh, Carrie, you just got back from uh, from Italy. You happy to be back? You happy to get back to work? Oh, uh, so yes, I am happy to be back, but they're uh, getting a hold of all the amount of work that I have to do is proving challenging at the current moment. It's uh, overwhelming, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> well, he still made time for us. Russ, what's going on, man? How's it going? Good. You know, I, I went on a little bit of travel, too. I went to Las Vegas uh, about two weekends ago now and still trying to catch up. It's funny how, like, just four days away from, like, my usual schedule can disrupt things so much. But I'm getting back into the swing of things. Awesome. Well, we have got a lot of stuff to cover. Like I was going through the, you know, the the news sites this morning and just kind of finding stuff. And there's some stuff that I kind of want to bring back from a couple of weeks ago because I knew that Carrie had like strong opinions about some stuff. So we definitely are going to, he's going to talk about Xbox handhelds a little bit. Um, But we've got uh, SteamOS stuff. We've got, you know, are you gaming on your phone? We've got uh, Xbox leaks coming out of everywhere. Uh, so there's a lot for us to talk about, but I figured that we would start off with, uh, I want to talk about, you know, everybody seems to want to be the Steam Deck right now. There's lots and lots of handhelds coming out of the woodwork. And, uh, you know, Microsoft had these these big leaks. Uh, and in those big leaks, there's uh, there's some information about a handheld. Now, Carrie has been talking about handhelds from microsoft for a long time he's got a really good video about like the series s could possibly be the handheld uh from microsoft uh carrie you tweeted that this is you know you got to read between the lines i could not tell if you were being sarcastic or not (laughs) uh all right, so there's lots of ways to look at this, right? Like it could, you could just look at it what's on face value based on those documents. Uh, first off, those documents are very old, mm-hmm. uh, so those are from 2020, not uh, current. The other part of there is that when they had listed handhelds, they actually put it in another slide that handhelds was not going to be a first party thing, which kind of shoots down the entire argument that Microsoft is going to be making a handheld. However, um, it is completely possible that they can. The only thing that I think would shoot a hole in is that my initial assumption when I had first uh, like made an opinion that the Series S was going to be a decision for things to come was something I had said in 2020 myself. So that is the only part which doesn't align where that Microsoft clearly wasn't looking at a handheld for the Series S, even though they have some arbitrary decisions there. Later on, I think what was determined, I think this came from Jez Corden. Uh, from Windows Central, he told me that the Windows S profile was actually created so that they had a target for the cloud uh, so that they could um, uh, basically run Series S games on the cloud so that they could have multiple instances on bigger hardware and then serve many customers on, you know, per unit of hardware that they have in the cloud. So that well, makes sense. Hold on, I just want to interrupt just real quick. That make, That's very interesting to me. So you're saying you have a server blade that mm-hmm. is essentially an Xbox Series X. But if you're playing lower power games that don't really require the full capabilities of a Series X, then they could segment those off and say, all right, well, I'm going to send a stream to Carrie, I'm going to send a stream to Bill, and I'm going to send a stream to Russ. And those guys are all playing on the same machine. Is that what you were saying? 
that that is what they do. They segment off. They virtually slice off the hardware uh, per unit. So mm-hmm. if it, if the GPU that they have is super powerful, they'll slice it up four ways to make four Series S's, mm-hmm. uh, and one one machine will do four Series S's. So that's what they're doing currently. Um, and that kind of explains why we've seen that artificial limitation that they put on the system, uh, because it really makes no sense for something that is to be powered off of a wall to use so little power. Um, then there's other arguments that w- that there that was said that, especially this is something that Digital Foundry has said, is that the Series S was originally supposed to be the 2020 model, and the Series X was going to be the mid-gen refresh. Mm but they came out with the Series X and the Series S at the same time, mm. which is why we're seeing that Series X digital version that doesn't that isn't an upgrade. It just has no disc. Um, so well, I think there's a storage upgrade there, right? Storage upgrade as well, but nothing. There is no mid-gen reef. There's no pro right. model, right? It's mm-hmm. basically the same thing. So instead of having a PS5 and then a PS5 Pro later, Microsoft basically did both at the same time. Uh, and let people choose whichever one they wanted to do. That's what is being conveyed by Digital Foundry. In any event, no matter which, which way you slice this up, the Series S profile is a target for a handheld as well. Can we get there by next year? I'm of the belief that we can. They just have to do it in certain ways. Uh, and I think Microsoft has the entire stack uh, and competency to do it. Uh, if they do it, that's one thing. However, if we're to say we're reading between the lines where I'll still put on my tinfoil hat, uh, <laughs> if you were to take a look at the TGS video, um, it, this is actually like, I'm going to say it like it's almost verbatim what, what Phil Spencer said. He's like, I really admire Japanese games. If you take a look at the Game Boy, the PSP, the <laughs> Nintendo Switch, <laughs> that's what he said, word for word. Like, mm-hmm. put them all, well, he said, literally just talking about handouts. So if you read between the lines, <laughs> He's saying they're doing something with handouts. Um, anyway, that's what my like brain is is going through. But I'm, uh, to be honest, I have come to think that it might not happen, uh, even though they should. Uh, at the very least, I think that they should entertain a 2028 handheld, which is so far away, and I think it's a wrong decision in my personal opinion. Um, again, these were old documents for 2020, right? And in yeah. 2023 they have evidence that Japan loves the Steam Deck. And that was the opener for TGS, right? Like, Pierre Lu is there talking about it. So they have information right at their hand. They're like, oh, if we want to have a bigger footprint in Japan, we need to make a handheld. Mm. Do you, I don't know, do it you, seemed... do you think that there's a possibility that, that, that he's saying that because he knows that he's standing in front of an, an audience that where home consoles and home PCs are typically not nearly as popular there as they are here and other places. Handhelds are, are, are way more popular, so like he's just talking to that audience and saying, you know, these are the things that you guys like, and we understand that. We respect that. Uh, See, yeah, it's possible. Go ahead. I, I think it's the opposite. I think that he didn't want to provide a sound, and I'm just playing devil's advocate because I kind of yeah. hope that he is thinking about a handheld. Same. But, uh Devil's Advocate is that he didn't want to have a soundbite where he said where he praised another home console. 
because that's an actual competition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to say, oh, yeah, the Nintendo Wii was great or whatever, or I love the Switch, because that's a, it's not like they don't actually say it's a competition. It's more Sony versus Microsoft, obviously. But that's what I feel like is that he didn't want to fan the flames of fanboyism, which is probably something they think about all the time. Uh, and so that's why he probably specifically said handheld consoles, because they don't really have a competition with that, at least right now. That's interesting. What do you think about that, Kerry? I think he was talking to me specifically. <laughs> he's like looking at that tweet of the, where, of, and he's like, "Boy, this 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 guy, we got to talk to that guy." Listen, Carrie, here, this is gotta, for you. That's awesome. I gotta I gotta talk to him in code. He'll understand. <laughs> He'll understand. That's exactly and only how like, you crazy would understand. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Russ, what do you think? Do you think that do you do you feel like yeah, it's old stuff um, that they you know when they when they posted this or when they made this thing three years ago? Yeah, uh, yes, the Nintendo Switch was out, but that was it for handhelds. There, uh, mm. yeah, I know that there were other companies making handhelds, but they weren't like they don't have the like the what's the word i'm looking for where people pay attention to something nobody was paying attention to it i don't know what i'm trying to think of mindshare like spotlight mindshare spotlight sure the mindshare is really what i was thinking that like they, those other things don't have the mindshare like the nintendo switch does and then in comes valve and you can't go to a gaming website without seeing a steam deck article so mm-hmm. do you think things have changed since then yeah, I think that they they're they're definitely talking about it behind clo- closed doors. You know what I mean? Like it's it's it would be ridiculous to think that they're not considering something like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's so hard to tell what Microsoft's going to actually do. You know, because they are a very slow moving beast. You know, it reminds me a lot of my time in the military and just kind of mm-hmm. how plans start and even by the time they're executed, sometimes they're already obsolete. But you can't stop that train because it's already rolling. You know, and so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they can pivot so quickly like that. I think that them. Uh, aligning themselves to other handheld releases is a good idea right now. But yeah, I would I would love it if they're like, and now here's ours. After we've learned all these other things from these other product launches, here's ours. But yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I thought like I I made that that point in one one of my videos where I was talking about that Microsoft gets to get they get all this R and D for free. You know, they got mm-hmm. this company and this company and this company all doing R&D for these devices and they're running Windows and Microsoft gets to just sit back and watch and say, people think that's cool. People, nobody cares about that. People think that's cool. And like they're sitting there with a notepad writing down all the things that everybody likes. And then maybe they, you know, come out swinging with something cool. Um, I said that in my video and somebody said, that's the Android model where you know, Google said, here's this operating system. Anybody can use whatever, you know, go ahead, make your stuff. And then they paid attention to what everybody was doing. And they were like, okay, now we're going to make the Google phone or whatever it's called. I can't remember. Um, So like, Carrie, do you think that, I know that you are, you're always kind of like, you have a lot of uh, hopium for for this. Uh, (laughs) Do you think that Microsoft has changed their mind since then? I do. I mean, I, I, so I have, I've come to grips with that they were not thinking about it initially and they were just looking at it from a cloud sense. However, I think that with all of the work and determination that they've made with having a Series S profile, 
to the chagrin of everybody. Everyone is like, Series S is holding back this generation. You have devs that are claiming to complain about it. Baldur's Gate 3 doesn't have split screen on it. Uh, all of these things that people point at and laugh at. Um, so it is baggage for them. However, it's a fantastic runway for a handheld. So for a device that doesn't need to, like, to just say, oh, I'm running at whatever this is. And this is easier for me to run at. So it's like they've got all of this for them. And I, I, I think that they have to be very aware of that. Looking at the Steam Deck, looking at the ROG Ally, looking at the Lenovo Legion, Legion Go, I personally don't think that they're looking at those handhelds and go, oh yeah, those are Game Pass subscribers. I don't think that that at all. When people are buying those things, I don't think that many people are going into them getting it for Game Pass. Maybe there's a fraction, there's a percentage. I don't think it's a large percentage. For me, a device that is an Xbox-centric thing uh, makes a lot more sense. Also, we don't have on the PC landscape Microsoft's own emulator, which their emulator is ridiculously good. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to play a bunch of 360 games that you could then play on a handheld, you can't use Microsoft's emulator unless it's on Xbox. Mm -hmm. So an Xbox handheld that is also going to be able to play 360 games, you know, that has a lot of value. Um, so for me, it's just about the ecosystem. And it's like when people, you know, for me, I grew up, you know, when I wanted to play Wing Commander in 1990, when I got a Sound Blaster, I installed it. No one else helped me. I had to install the whole thing, worry about IRQ ports as an eight-year-old, right? And like, that is not, that was an experience that a lot of people were just like, oh my God, I can't think about this. I just want a console. And I kind of just accepted it and was like, oh, okay, well, if I want the best, I have to, you know, endure this. Uh, and that helped me figure out how a lot of things were done. I don't think, well, I do think that the common perception of PC gaming remains the same. For a lot of people, it's pain. And the Steam Deck has come a long way uh, with SteamOS to make that entire experience smoother. And this is something that I said even day one. I was like, as plain as day for me, and people were looking at it at a lot of different angles, but what Valve has been doing is making SteamOS uh, take away all the barriers of playing on a, on PC and giving you those trackpads, giving you everything to translate all of those inputs into something that fits into a handheld for a myriad of different PC games. And I don't think that when people are looking at the uh, Asus RG Ally or the Lenovo Legion Go, they're going to be going in with one mindset and get disappointed almost immediately with what they have to endure because yeah. what they want is they want a steam deck experience they want a console experience and that is why i still think an xbox handheld itself is what people actually want like if you think about like volume numbers right that an xbox handheld will outsell the asus rg ally it'll outsell oh, the yeah. legion go it'll outsell the steam deck mm -hmm. but if microsoft came out with a pc gaming handheld it wouldn't sell and that, that's the point that I'm trying to make in that there is value, intrinsic value of a console handheld. The idea that it is a console is going to be playing console games on a handheld. So for me, they have everything they need to do. They should just do it. And I think that there's enough around them to give them that information. It remains to be seen if they do it or not. Man, so, I was just thinking that go ahead. if they do this, it's going to make the PS Portal look so dumb. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> they're like, look at what Sony did. They have something that can just beam it over to you. You know what I mean? Whereas here is it just an Xbox, you know? And it'd be great if they just put the controllers and have the screen on there or whatever, you know what I mean? And just, yeah, that, that thought kind of hit me right then. It'd be funny. It would. And and you're talking to at least two people that bought that stupid thing. Although I'm <laughs> I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so... <laughs> Let's move on and talk about the controllers, because uh, they got this new controller. My biggest gripe with Xbox controllers, go, I think they're great. I think they're really good controllers, um, but they don't have gyro. And this new one has uh, not gyro, but accelerometers. And somebody in my comment section said, I think that's for the raise to wake. And I was like, mm. that's a terrible idea. Like the idea, like raise to wake in a controller is... That's all kinds of dumb. Like, that's going to turn on people's Xboxes all the time. You know, I walk by, <laughs> I bump into a, a table or my cat gets on the thing. And, it, like, that's a bad idea. But they still are avoiding gyroscopes when everybody else has gyroscopes. But the thing is, is that no game devs, I'm not, I don't want to say no game devs, but few game devs uh, utilize the gyroscopes in controllers because Xbox won't embrace it mm. and that drives me absolutely crazy the second thing about this controller and then i'm going to ask you guys a question the second thing about the controller is that it has a direct to the cloud connection and i think that's huge for um x x cloud i forgot what it was called there for a second um i think that's huge for x cloud because my camera just turned off i don't know why my camera yeah. turned off uh we will find out about that but i'm just going to keep talking um the so distracting that my camera's not working <laughs> what good. was i saying oh uh the so the cloud controller reduces latency by a ridiculous amount uh when i was using google stadia that was the one that felt the most instantaneous with the hmm. smallest amount of hmm. lag and everything else felt like it was kind of laggy compared to stadia because their controller is connected directly to the stadia servers and that's what these controllers are going to do carrie what do you think about that as a uh, the, the the features of this new controller and while you tell uh russ what you think i'm going to try and fix my uh, camera <laughs> uh yeah so um there's a there's a bunch to talk about there accelerometer only it would be a huge disappointment um because it's not enough data the gyro part of it the gravity side of it is actually needed uh, for understand like being able to do motion uh, accelerometer only is weird uh, in a lot of ways I don't know if you can hear us Bill but your your video's back on um, and then the direct to cloud thing that's a really interesting that's a really interesting idea I was unaware of that stadia controllers actually did that where they would bypass where they're sending so that you weren't sending inputs to the host and then the host is then sending it to um you know out through the gateway into the other actual host yeah. so if it's bypassing that that's actually really wild um so ultimately I think for me the big thing here would be the Xbox uh, X input API and what changes are being made there uh, and when that happens, as a quick side note, every PC gaming handheld that comes from like GBD or INE or whatever, they're actually still using Xbox 360 controller chips. So X input is limited to 360. They do actually have Xbox One 
controller chips. They just don't use them. Uh, and it was initially because of supply, but then there wasn't enough there that they actually warranted getting it because of, there was a, a cost increase. Um, so from a handheld perspective, from like how, how we would think about it, if insofar as accelerometers and gyro, act, if gyro were to actually enter into X input, all of these companies would need to start using newer chipsets uh, mm -hmm. that actually supported the latest series controller. Because there's Xbox 360 controllers, there's Xbox One controllers, and this would be series. So that would be pretty cool if we actually got full gyro. Accelerometer only is um, is a miss. I, I agree that it's a, you know I interviewed John Justice, who is a senior VP at, at Google back uh, back when Stadia was just coming out, and I asked him. I said, "Hey, how come you're not putting gyroscopes in your controllers?" And he said, "You know, we feel like people don't want that." But I, I wonder if it had anything to do with latency. Like, maybe it makes it easier to feel uh, the latency between you and the mm. server when you are talking about a cloud platform uh, when you're using gyroscope and you don't really feel it nearly as much with sticks. Like, when I played, uh, on, when I, when I played GeForce Now and I use a controller, I don't feel the latency very much. But when I use a mouse and keyboard, I can feel it a little bit more. Uh, and they've definitely improved now that they have their super pods or whatever they're called that go like 240 frames per second or whatever. I can't take advantage of that because I don't have a screen for it. But, um, like, I wonder if that's the reason. Russ, do you care about cloud gaming at all? Is this is this something that you're interested in? Yeah, I like cloud gaming. Uh, I don't use it as much just because of my location in Hawaii because everything's oh, terrible. Yeah. Like Stadia was completely unplayable for me. You know, I there were there were snippets of moments where I could actually use it, but yeah, it's still rough. Uh, there's no Google service here for to accommodate that. Uh, Xbox streaming and Microsoft streaming is better, uh, but it's still not something that I enjoy. Like I went uh, Christmas time, I went to California and I hung out with a friend, and we were playing a game on cloud because we were waiting for it to download on his Xbox. So we're like, "Oh, let's just play it on cloud," and I could not tell a difference, and it was amazing. I was like, "Oh, this is what people like actually experience," you know. So it is something in concept I would probably use all the time if I didn't live here in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, is is like, but then you have I never ran into this on Stadia. I never once saw a line. But that might be because it just wasn't very successful. Um, I wanted to, I, I didn't have room on my Xbox, so I was going to cloud stream uh, Starfield. Mm. And I don't know if you guys saw the tweet when I had posted it, but it was, I had to wait 114 minutes for the <laughs> queue because all the people in front of me were like, that's something that you got to worry about when you're talking about cloud gaming. Um, I don't run into that on GeForce now because I have like the higher tier membership or whatever. Uh, but I did run into that on xCloud and that was really frustrating. And I ended up just shutting the game off and not even bothering because I couldn't play right then. Um, so I, I missed it, Fox. Did you say that you do any cloud gaming or no? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I do often. Um, I usually play it on just the handhelds because it's just mm -hmm. more convenient for me as opposed to playing cloud on my PC or in living room. I never do. Um, I It's pretty much a, a handheld only thing. Insofar as when I talk about that as well, like I'll, um, I've also all, often called it console companions. Uh, mm. So I always look at it from the, the cost. Like I always like, it never makes sense to me for these things to be $300 because that's how much a Series S costs. 
So it's like $200 is always the upper limit in my mind for something that is adjacent. It is a companion. It is not a thing that is itself. Uh, so there's always been the price barriers. But the thing for the Series S, the well, the Series controllers that you mentioned having a direct connection to the cloud, I didn't, I missed that entire part. I was so uh, fixated on the gyro part that I didn't even catch that part. So that part where it's streaming the inputs to the cloud server, that's interesting. That's uh, That's actually really cool. Especially if you could just buy that controller and, yeah. you know, you got an app on your TV, then you're all set. For 50 bucks in your Game Pass subscription, you're all set, as long as there's not a giant long line in front of you uh, for 114 minutes to play Starfield. Um, it's, still, all right. it's still faster than downloading the file itself, though. That would have been That's... 115 minutes. That's true. That's true. I ended up uh, managing some of my software, and I have it installed locally now. Um, you know, that game came out. We never had a chance to talk about it. Go ahead, Carrie. Mm. You had a thing to say. Yeah, so this is just about Gyro, and this is just – if people aren't aware, there's a, a a new YouTuber. He just started uploading, but he's already blowing up a bit because he only plays Counter-Strike on a DualSense, um, and he's playing Gyro only, and he's beating, like, pro Counter-Strike people. Um so like he's pretty much blowing up, but it, this is like a really good argument that gyro is actually better than mouse and keyboard on a controller. But the dude like has like this weird, wicked grip and like his, in, his index finger on his right hand is like for the face buttons. <laughs> and it's like, it's not ideal when I look at him doing it, but he is playing exceptionally well. So hmm. I think that there, you look at him and there's a good argument that gyro is a far better input mechanism overall especially with an analog stick for just general movement as opposed to wazd and just general keys otherwise you know for any other type of thing that you're going to be doing like hotkeys on a game so uh anyway check it out look at look it up it's uh it's pretty interesting to watch him play especially when he's playing against pros and beating them yeah that's awesome I, if for no other reason i just want gyro because it gives me i'm not going to say that i'm going to be better than people with a mouse and keyboard but I wouldn't be as much of a scrub as as I would be with just the sticks. I feel right. like it's just an additive thing, and uh, if people need to try it out and give it a real shot because it's it's really fantastic. And I think the first time I ever used it was on the Steam controller, which uh, I think that you know I love the Steam controller. Still waiting for a Steam controller too. But speaking of sequels to things with Steam in the name, um, Pierre Lugrafi was at the Tokyo Game Show, which you mentioned uh, earlier, Fox. And uh, he was directly asked about, you know, what's going on with the Steam Deck. And he said, well, you know, we're doing real well. We're a couple of years away from any updates uh, to that Steam Deck. And I don't know if he's just saying, you know, he. I don't know if he's saying that because, hey, you know what? We'll announce stuff when we're ready to announce stuff. But usually... When that's the message, they they would say, we have nothing to announce. He said, right. we have no plans for a couple of years. And I'm sure that, I'm not saying they're not working on anything, because clearly they are. We've got that stuff leaking out of South Korea. Um, we have all that other stuff that people are a, a, attributing to Deckard. Do you... You know, Russ and Carrie, I haven't talked to you guys in a couple of weeks with all of this stuff going on outside of just Discord conversations. Russ, do you think that we're going to be getting a, re a replacement before two years from now? 
No. So there's a couple interesting notes here. Number one is that uh, it sounded more like he said, you know, from a hardware level, we're not going to do any upgrades. It's not going to be worth it kind of thing. So that means that maybe we would get some sort of physical refresh. So maybe a smaller Steam Deck before we get at Steam Deck 2. I'm good with that. The other thing that I thought was a really funny observation was that I saw that quote, you know, it's going to be two years until the next one. And then immediately I saw people on Twitter saying, well, the first one came out, you know, early 2022. So add two years. That means January 2024. And I'm like, that's not what he's saying. But the (laughs) amount of like hopium and like, you know, just people trying to figure out how it will match into what they want to hear. You know what I mean? was pretty funny. And so... Yeah, I I think it's still going to be a couple years off, and it's Valve saying it, which means that it might be an additional year after that. You know how it is with, like, Valve is often delayed with some of their launches and whatnot, and so I wouldn't be surprised if it's two years and and some change, you know, before we even hear anything about it. So, And I like that. I like the fact that they're going to keep developing with the Steam Deck in mind, because I think it's awesome. Well, Russ, you mentioned a smaller Steam Deck, uh, Carrie. Would you want a smaller Steam Deck? Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people want a smaller Steam Deck. A lot of people think that the Steam Deck was huge. I think one, like, if not for nothing, but I think I gained like 8,000 Twitter followers from when I had the Steam Deck initially, and I just said uh, Vita for life. Uh, and I just took a picture of it with the Steam Deck and the PS Vita. That was the only picture I sent. And then I gained like 8,000 Twitter followers from that one picture. Uh, so I think that w- struck a chord with a lot of people because it was such a gigantic difference when you compare a PS Vita to the Steam Deck. Uh, there are still people that are firmly of the belief that the Steam Deck is not a handheld just because of how large it is. There are just some people that a handheld is a 3DS, a handheld is a PSP. And uh, what you, that's fine if that's what they think. Um, and I, I don't, I won't disagree with them or try to change their mind on it. But yeah, I think that if Valve really wants to consider um, and embrace PC, PC gaming's greatest strengths is its diversity of mm-hmm. what types of hardware it can have. Uh, and like we, we have all these other companies out there, and like uh, you know the GPD Win Mini that's out there. I still feel like hopefully when I get the plastic mold reshell that that. Well, fixes the heat problem on it but for me the the gpd win mini is if you think about it from size it can fit in your pocket i usually put it in my back pocket uh it has a seven inch screen so it's 16 by 9 instead of 16 by 10 so effectively it is the same size screen uh because a lot of steam deck games are going to run in 16 by 9 instead of 16 by 10 because a lot of them have those borders so effectively you have right around the same size screen but something that is way way smaller I think personally that that would be good. Um, but I think, you know, getting something like a better display would really be something that a lot of PC gaming people would want. Um, yeah. So I think that that would be ideal, but I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. Just, and the only reason I say that is because, um, Gabe, I think has a lot of influence in like the ultimate decision of where these things go. And he has been someone that has been, um, like a min maxer, um, even like from a long time ago, if you ever seen him like play World of Warcraft, the old screenshots of him, he's playing like on a 42 inch plasma, like two feet away. <laughs> he's just playing on that. So it's like <laughs> he he's always been someone who appreciates something like larger things. So when I take a look at the Steam Deck. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this definitely has Gabe's approval on it. Um, so it's just from a comfort point of view. And I think that that's the balance that they need to try to try to get is trying to make sure that ergonomics are the first priority. And making that into smaller might be a difficult challenge. 
That, and that's that's the the follow up question that I was going to ask you, Russ. Is do you think if they made it smaller, you would use it as much because it wouldn't? I I cannot like I know Carrie's talking about the GP GPD Win Mini. I cannot imagine that that is as comfortable to hold in your hand as a Steam Deck. Russ, yeah, if, that, it, that, if it was smaller, you think it'd be more comfortable or as comfortable? I, I would be amazed if they could do that because nobody else has, you know, like the Steam Deck is still the most comfortable handheld and a lot of that has to do with the size. And so if they can knock, knock that out and figure it out, I mean, obviously they spent a lot of time designing that Steam Deck. We saw all of those prototypes that they like mm-hmm. went through and whatnot. So if they're doing that again with something smaller and they can pull it off, I would love it. Um, but yeah, I I always love the idea of a smaller handheld, I should say, right? But it's always the Steam Deck I grab anyway, you know? And so it's hard to say. Uh, you know, there's a lot of other things that happen when you make something smaller too, you know, heat issues and whatnot with the Win Mini in particular, we've seen that. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. They got they got an uphill climb, battle to climb, but or uphill, whatever, uphill road to take. <laughs> the, the thing is too, is that, I wonder what all the other companies who use the fact that they have a smaller device than the Steam Deck as their main like selling point. What are they going to do? You know what I mean? Like, hey, we've got the you know Ionio Air or whatever. I'm like, well, <laughs> now you don't have that one. So what's it going to be? And so yeah, I'm really interested to see how that moves the whole trajectory if they do release something like that. If if they shrink it down, Carrie, do you think they shrink the screen too, or they, they, like like we saw all the prototypes the Russ was just talking about? They said. Make it too small, you can't read anything. You make it too big, it's too heavy. If they make the Steam Deck smaller, they got to keep the 7-inch screen, I think, right? They have to. I I think that they're wedded to that as a minimum, personally myself. I also think that they're wedded to 16 by 10. It's a wise choice that they did because they're aiming at 800p. For me, this has always been a thing that I've always witnessed on the Windows side of things when we were looking at, uh, like the Win 1 and Win 2 were 720p screens. And that often introduced issues because Windows by default, a lot of Windows would be the minimum size, which is 768. Uh, So you, you would have windows that would like below be below the fold of what your mm. screen was so you oh, can even yeah. c- click okay and cancel they get around it because gamescope will uh smush whatever screen or stretch it however they need to and that's one of gamescope's like uh, strengths so they can get around that however personally i believe that they chose 800p so that they would not have to shrink and deform text or whatever. Because if you have to shrink 768 down to like 720, if they were to go like 16 by 9, right? Uh, that is an overall worse result. And they're better off just slightly expanding it or leaving it the same. So having 800p as a minimum and 7 inches, I think, are like things that they've already determined and something that we've already seen from previous handhelds that this is basically a requirement. This You need to have something that is 800p. Uh, effectively uh, or more to just run Windows stuff. Um, and because SteamOS and Proton is going to be piggybacking on a lot of things that are legacy from Windows, that they're going to inherit those qualities. So they need to have a platform, a foundation that can display that correctly. Mm-hmm. So yes, ultimately to answer your question, I think that they've already done all that. And I do think that 7-inch 800p would be the minimum baseline that they would target. It just already has huge board uh, bezels, so they would just have to shrink that mm-hmm. up uh, and gain whatever they can gain from that. Maybe it'd be a tiny bit smaller while, th- while still having the same stuff. Ideally, they go to OLED or something and ma- tighten it up a bit. That would also be worthwhile. But like how Russ said, 
I'm often picking up the Steam Deck just because it just, I don't know, perhaps it just feels very console-like to me. And I just press the little power button and it just wakes up and I'm going in and it just has a... I don't even go into the desktop side of SteamOS. I really don't. I just always use the Steam Deck client um, side of it. And it just feels so good. And I've been running SteamOS 3.5 for so long. Um, and that's been amazing. So it's just, I've just been super happy on that end. And I use it from that perspective. You know, what's funny is I actually do it like docked as well. I'll dock it and I'll just enjoy playing in a dock experience. Um, so yeah, um, I am not a, of the belief that they're going to do it in any in any way but also going back bill we actually touched on this subject i think like a few months after the steam deck came out talking about whatever the steam deck 2 would come out and even then we were like it's not going to happen like it even from a hardware perspective wasn't going to happen um but yeah there's it what they're saying makes a lot of sense if they shrank it down like i'm looking at this they they got to get rid of something they can't, I mean, sure, they might be able to shrink it just by bezels. But when you look at the Steam Deck, like, it has all these different inputs. And I don't see them getting rid of any of these inputs. And sure, somebody might say, well, if you make it a little less wide, then these trackpads move out to the edge. But then they're hard to, like, they're hard to right. hit with your thumb. So I don't know that they can really get any smaller than this in a candy bar design. Uh, yeah. Like they would have to go with a clamshell design, which would make, which which it would make Carrie incredibly happy, and he <laughs> would he would be you know screaming from the rooftops. I told you that clamshell was superior. Um, it's the truth. I, we and we <laughs> I agree with you that clamshell is superior, but I don't know if it's as comfortable. Um, anyway, I, I just I don't know that they can shrink this down and actually uh, sell a smaller version. But you know what? What do, what do I know? I don't know. I don't know how to design this stuff. So so who knows? Now a second ago, Carrie, you mentioned SteamOS 3.5. You've been on it for a while. One of the things that came out when SteamOS 3.5 moved to the um, to the beta channel was that there was basically Valve was giving us a way to undervolt like different voltage values. Now um, Rich and I like we did the show because you guys were all busy and rich and i are both like we're not super tinkerers when it comes to that stuff um i updated to steam os 3.5 i booted into the firmware i went looking around i said i don't know what any of this means so i left <laughs> why are why are you so excited about these varied voltages uh yeah okay so um i can jump in real quick uh this is actually super huge um What's funny is I actually asked Valve this a year ago uh, or whatever. I was like, could you guys actually officially support undervolting? And nothing. I heard nothing back. And I was like, oh, shouldn't ask that question. Uh, and then I see this and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> well, anyway, I'm sure my question didn't get to this. But the, the, the point of why undervolting is so important is that uh, we call this thing the Silicon Lottery. Insofar as that when silicon is developed, when they're actually making these things, they are doping the silicon with other materials to um, make it semiconductive, right? A semiconductor. Those That doping layer is kind of random. And what happens is that when you create these dyes, you will have different chips that may not be good at all, are good, but then they have different voltages that require to hit different frequencies. The Can I interrupt that... for just for a second? Because I just sure. want to make sure I'm understanding you. 
So I have a Steam Deck and you have a Steam Deck. Undervolting mm -hmm. might work okay for you, but not work okay for me. Is that correct. what you mean by lottery? Yes, correct. Okay, continue. Um, so uh, what they do is they create a default voltage that is across everyone's machine. So effectively, because we are pushing this much pressure, if voltage is pressure, right? Normally you would think about this as a river. One analogy that I like to give, there's a few different analogies that we like to give because there's different ways that we can apply voltage to a chip. And I'll get to that in a moment. But um, when you create a default voltage to hit a certain clock to say, okay, our weakest chip out of this bin needs this much voltage to hit this clock, okay, we need to make this voltage. Your weakest link becomes the default voltage, basically. Mm -hmm. So now everyone is carrying the weight of this despite the fact that they don't need to. So not everyone is going to be able to undervolt their chip better as best as possible. Like if someone's able to get like negative 50 millivolt, not everyone is going to be able to do that. In fact, when I st first started looking into this a long time ago, on both of my Steam decks, I was only able to get like negative 10 uh, millivolt after my testing. So I was just like, well, this doesn't seem like it's all that worth it. They're probably doing something. Um, and it does seem like pay under one gigahertz, they actually are tuning voltage a bit which goes along with one of the reasons why Steam Deck uh, is so performant at lower TDPs, but that's mm -hmm. a, a, a separate thing altogether. However, uh, as an analogy, um, there are two different ways. You can do static undervolting and you can do adaptive undervolting. Adaptive undervolting is easily the, the, is the easiest uh, method because what you are saying is um, adaptive is basically like haggling. Um, imagine if you go up to someone and say, how much does that cost? And they say default voltage is whatever, one volt, right? 0.9 volt. And you go, I'm going to give you 0.8 volt. And he goes, 0.85 volt. And you go, okay. And then you say, okay, I'm paying you 0.85 volt for this frequency. Wait, you're doing this millions of times a second, right? Yeah. You're doing this all the time. So when you're doing that, if you were to imagine a super soaker, right? I don't know if everyone is understandable, like a water gun, right? When you're pumping a water gun, if you only needed to, if you needed to pump twice to reach 10, me, uh, 10 meters, right? But if you could just pump once to reach one meter, and imagine doing this a million times, right? Instead of pumping twice for everyone, now you're only mm -hmm. pumping once. Imagine that all of that energy savings to reach that same clock frequency is now less. So now not only are you spending less energy, a byproduct is that there is less heat. People often assume that undervolting performance gains are because of a heat reduction. That is a byproduct. That is not the reason why we're actually getting better performance. What we're actually doing inside of a given TDP uh, scope, 15 watt, when we say 15 watt TDP, when we undervolt, that means that we can still spend 15 watts, but we're getting more bang for our dollar because we got the guy haggling for how much we're spending on voltage and clock frequencies. So when you're doing this millions of times a second, what you're doing is you are effectively reaching the same clocks and spending less power doing so, a byproduct of which is less heat, but you can also now hit uh, boost clocks far more frequently. Maybe at this with undervolting, we can hit 3.5 gigahertz all the time on CPU and hit 1.6 gigahertz on GPU more frequently. Effectively at that 15 watt TDP, you are hitting something that's like 18 watt TDP, but inside of a 15 watt TDP scope. So this is the benefit of it is that you are, are achieving more with less. Uh, it's haggling. That's all it comes down to. It's, it's very, very powerful. The reason why this largely left us is because some security dunce was like, Hey, if we, if we uh, undervolt things, I can get into your security and I can get your chips. And everyone was like, Oh, plunder vault. So all of that stuff went away 
And this security researcher, I want to like thump on the head. It's like, you took away our performance. Um, but yeah, that's largely the reason why we haven't seen it a lot. Um, it got locked up in Intel's Tiger Lake when it was available in Intel Ice Lake, but this is around the time of Plundervolt. So this is the main reason why undervolting is so huge, is that we are getting more for less. And inside of a given TDP constraint, which we all fight in a handheld, this gives us more for less or more for the same that we've already been spending. So this is the benefit of it. So, okay, there's a lot of mixed metaphors there. Uh, Russ, you, uh, if, if you're going to haggle or drive down the street with your super soaker squirting people every 15 meters, um, whatever it is that you're doing, are you going to be undervolting your Steam Deck or are you going to leave it as default? Because what, what Carrie can do and what like I can do and what you can do, it seems like it depends on whether or not we won that, that lottery or not. So what right. are you going to do? So the big thing for me, I, I heard all of what Carrie's saying. I'm like, that sounds so awesome for someone else to do. And so, <laughs> so that's, that's my question for three, three out of five is like, is that an automated thing that someone is doing the haggling for me? Or do I have to go and do it myself? Cause if not, I'm probably just going to be happy with what I have. Uh, so it seems like it's BIOS only, uh, on Intel side, we were, we were able to, Intel calls it Fiverr. Uh, F-I-V-R, um, and I forget the acronym of what it actually stands for, but it's what was the part that was controlling it. We could actually handle this in software, and that was beneficial because we could actually automate the process of finding out what our maximum undervolt is given a different uh, API. The mm. problem with undervolting is multiple, and giving this to just regular people I think is great, but uh, like you were saying, they're going to find themselves in a situation where they're not properly testing. With undervolting, especially on Windows side, you like for instance on on the GPT Win Two, if I were to undervolt by eighty millivolt, I could run that for hours on something with DirectX Eleven. But I put something on with OpenGL, instantly crash. Mm. I put something on with DX Twelve, instantly crash. So now I have to not only do I have to test uh, for uh, my undervolting uh, stability on one API, I have to test across multiple APIs and multiple games. If you just do it on a single thing, you're going to find yourself having a bad time. Now, if you do something where you test, you're like, oh, everything was fine. And then you play another game and you start seeing crashing. You go, well, what the hell is happening? It's because mm -hmm. you didn't test well enough. So this is the part where things can get very tricky with undervolting in that you have to be, you have to test a lot to make sure that your stability testing for undervolting is uh, generous across the board and across a lot of different use cases. So... I mean, you look at the Steam Deck, you know, I go on, I go on the internet, uh, I go on YouTube, I find a tutorial for how to undervolt your Steam Deck. I follow that tutorial uh, and, and go into the BIOS, but I mean, they don't know what kind of games I'm going to play. And it's, it seems like it's an all or nothing thing. This doesn't, is, here, I guess my question is, right now, you got to go into the, the BIOS and make the switch, which I went into the BIOS, couldn't find it, gave up and walked away. But you go into the, let's say I figure it out. I go into the BIOS, I make the switch. It's all or nothing, right? I, I, I don't get to say, well, let's undervolt it when I play, you know, Celeste. And when I play Final Fantasy 14, I'm not going to undervolt. Like, you can't do that, right? 
Yeah, and you don't want to either. You you really don't want to. You want to basically find your your maximum undervolt and always have it out there. And the reason I say that you always want to have it on there is because there is no situation ever in the history of ever where not undervolting is a better outcome. If, if you're just talking about like stability, don't worry about that. Undervolting is not going to damage your system. You're actually pushing less voltage into the system. It's less hurtful to the system with what you're doing. The only thing that you're going to come across, and this is why I go to the super soaker analogy, because if you do one pump and you try to hit a frequency that's uh, you know, whatever, 10 meters away, and you pump once, and in this game, it only goes nine meters. Nine meters means it crashes. So things crash when you don't hit the target. Uh, so this is the bad part of undervolting and what I'm trying to get across. And that's why you have mm -hmm. like a default voltage. You like, you always pump twice to hit 100 meters, uh, 10 meters, because that's what it is, even though you'll put you'll go further than that. The problem is, is that you have to test for the use cases where you're gonna not hit that target. And the end result being the the shop is going to close the the thing's going to close down much like the haggling thing is like hey i'll give you a 0.8 volts and then instead of saying 0.85 volt he just closes the door and shuts it out <laughs> right. and that's the problem with undervolting these two analogies that i'm trying to give to you to, to kind of try to understand of like the uh consequence of not hitting the target with a given frequency that you're trying to hit is a crash uh, this typically is not going to result in anything bad happening. The worst case scenario that's going to happen here is corruption on your disk, uh, which you could then just overwrite everything. Mm -hmm. um, that is typically like the worst case scenario in these situations uh, with undervolting. So it's not terrible, uh, but it can be inconvenient. And the testing procedure, especially if you have to jump back into the BIOS to test every one of them, is inconvenient. When I tested it, I only got negative 10 volt after all of my testing. Like I was doing negative 30 in some tests, but then on some other things it was failing. So I was kept on lowering and lowering five millivolts at a time. And then I got down to 10 millivolts. And I'm like, this is not like, I'm not going to make a video with my two steam decks like this, like this is not even worth it. Um, and especially with all the, the part of using smokeless at the time and all the other stuff, I was like, I'm not going to even make this video because this is going to be making a video that's going to get me into like a weird place that I have to support this for a long time. And I'm just like, I'm not going to touch this goddamn thing. Um, <laughs> but we knew about it fairly early on. I want to say like a month after the Steam Deck came out, people were already doing it. If you went on the Steam Deck Discord, mm -hmm. people were doing it. So uh, Right, and Kyle, I, has a, Kyle has a video about how to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's been known for a while. Um and it's been something that super users, I think, should do. It's it's very beneficial if you have a Steam Deck that can get pushed for. My two Steam Decks don't. I am ultimately I am very very happy with the decision that Valve made that they're including this in the BIOS. I have not updated my Steam Deck yet, so I heard it's on one one six, but people are having problems finding it. So I have to go look for it myself. Um, but having official means of it is huge that's that's fantastic that is another feather in the cap for the steam deck insofar as uh, any of these other things that are out there and it's um it's embracing what pc gaming is all right well that's pc gaming um russ you were looking at the show notes and you said you know i think i want to talk about this phone thing uh so why don't you take it away man what do you want to talk about yeah, so uh, you know, iPhone 15 is coming out uh, or is out for some people. It's got I got a couple of weeks for my delivery, but uh, you know, one of the things that they showed off in their like keynote or announcement was it playing like AAA style games like Resident Evil, and um, 
it's interesting too because they have the USB-C out as well. You know, they've moved away from Lightning, and so it's going to make it a lot easier to use a USB adapter to be able to plug into you know a monitor or whatever and kind of turn it into a gaming console. And I'm I'm interested in just hearing your guys' take on whether or not that is ever going to take off. Is anybody going to pay thirty or forty, fifty dollars for a game to have on the App Store to be able to play these? You know, it, it always seems like even on the Android system, you know, they've tried this a few times putting out some sort of tentpole release and nobody will buy it because it's just so much more expensive than Flappy Bird or whatever else other option they have. Yeah, when the when the when the App Store first came out, like games were more expensive when they first came out. It was like 8 bucks for a game mm. and then they had the race to the bottom. Everybody was trying to undercut each other and now you can you you just can't sell a game that costs a lot of a lot of money. I'm saying a lot of money for a thirty dollar game. All right, I, I, you can't sell a game that is priced like most games are on iOS or Android because people they've found well, you know what? I can just play like you said, Flappy Bird or Coffee Golf or any number of these games that are either free or cost a dollar or come with Apple Arcade. So I don't think that that's going to work very well. I think that what Apple and you know companies like Capcom need to do is they need to partner up and say, all right, well let's let's get Resident Evil Four uh, remake, which is coming to iOS. Yeah. Let's get that in Apple Arcade as part of the subscription thing, so that people will try it. You know, because people aren't willing to spend thirty dollars to try something, especially like. Are you going to play it with a with touchscreen? I'm not going to play it with touchscreen. <laughs> right. Right. Carrie, are you going to play these games with touchscreen? Nope. He won't even answer. He just shakes his head. No. No, he says. <laughs> Carrie, what do you think about this? Are you even a little interested? Um I'm I'm not All right, so I'm not a I'm not an Apple fan at all. I don't own mm -hmm. any Apple things and you guys I like whatever. I think that the chip that they've made is very very good, but the A17 A17 mm -hmm. Pro, I yeah. think is what they call it. It's for what they've made. It is very good, and they deserve credit for there. Um, and I will always credit for the, the stuff that they've been doing. However, they have um, entered into a realm that Intel has found themselves in from like 2014, is that they are just pushing frequencies. Um, and uh, uh, TSMC's N3 node doesn't look like it's all that great. Our yields. I'm trying to like read up on and try to read through the tea leaves there. It is a very performant chip. And they did a really good job there. However, some of the articles that I've read indicate that the chip can consume 25 watts. Uh, and on a phone, that is outrageous. Um, Especially so that, something it, this thin. Like, that's yeah. going to get hot with no yeah, vapor chamber or whatever either. You know? Yeah, so I don't anticipate, like, how is that going to work with thermal throttling? Because it will thermal throttle. Um mm -hmm. And what would be the top end TDP on that thing? Maybe it's like 10 watt or so. Can it still run those things? Yeah, I think it can. Um, I think they're going to have a better time if they could buy once and have a, a overall support on like MacBooks, Mac Studio, Apple, if they could figure out that angle. Um, but they need to make a gaming phone. To I, I've been talking about like you, you like check my receipts on like Twitter and stuff. I've made fun of touch gaming i'm like who wants to play a game when your thumbs are covering up like 40 percent of the screen how could you possibly play anything like that and 
a lot of the games that we play uh, on phones have adapted around that. There are games that are asynchronous. You're like looking at what's going on and maybe you're like playing golf or something. So you'll take the ball and you'll slide it back and you'll kind of like look around and you have time to make a choice. But anything that is like very, very interactive, you're going to find yourself having a bad time. Now, I've seen kids play like Fortnite and stuff and they're like whipping their fingers around on a touchscreen and stuff. And that's really cool to see an eight-year-old really like whipping a touchscreen around. But I think... <laughs> A large portion of us aren't going to entertain that at all. So I personally, I've been asking for a gaming phone forever. I ask every company for a gaming phone. They never make it. Um, Apple's not going to make it because Apple doesn't really like like gaming. Um, they like the money, but they will never want to align themselves with gaming as an image. Uh, for them, it's uh, beneath them. Um, I don't know it, that I agree with that. Like you look at the the Apple TV. Mm -hmm. Like if like with Apple Arcade, they have they have plenty of games on there, and it, like they brought out Miyamoto to to introduce to introduce like Super Mario Run uh, mm. on the iPhone. I, I don't think that they think it's beneath them, and and a lot of people also say, you know, Apple doesn't want gaming. Apple has like the biggest gaming store there is. It's just most of us ignore it because we don't want to do that stupid thing with our thumbs and it's not comfortable to play a game like that. And I'm with you there. I just don't think that Apple's like thumbing their nose at gaming. I would I would submit that if Apple wanted to, they could demolish Nintendo. That they could demolish a lot of these companies. They choose not to. Um and that is like let's go back to like when Steam came on Mac, right? They were like, Steam is on Mac, and they spent 12 seconds talking about it, and then they spent like four minutes talking about some Adobe thing. Uh, and I was like, what the hell, guys? That's a huge announcement. You just just kind of like like went, hey, yeah, Steam's on Mac. Anyway, uh, like, it was like, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so for, I, for me, I don't – I think – Proof is that if Apple actually wanted to align themselves with gaming, they would embrace it more and they would demolish everybody. They could, at any given moment, just choose to enter the gaming industry outside of what they're already doing, but they don't. Um, if they made a if they made a gaming phone, like a legitimate like slide up, you know, actual controls where these games could be playable, I think you would find a, a place where people would start entertaining that idea, where they actually find a way that they actually enjoy playing it. As it is right now, plugging in a USB-C cable to an external monitor and then using a wireless controller, I don't think they're going to find themselves winning anywhere because people already have that and they're called consoles and they already enjoy playing on them. So that's an uphill battle that they're going to find themselves. Uh, I do agree with you that they have a humongous gaming presence. But... Um, I mean, thankfully that they don't do anything because I don't. I wouldn't want to be on this platform. <laughs> if they came out with an Apple gaming phone, I'd be like, oh, I gotta buy a gaming iPhone now. That's that is something that I would just have to accept. Yeah. Well, I mean, leave Apple out of it. Like, do, are you interested in playing games on a touchscreen though? Even if it's Never. not Apple, if it, no, okay, nope. that's what I thought. Uh, no, Russ, are matter. you going to be buying an Apple TV if it has the? What's the A? What's the chip? A seventeen. A seventeen Pro. A seventeen Pro. Are you going to buy an yeah. Apple TV that has that? Because, I mean, that's pretty compelling, and you don't have to worry about the heat issues or the battery issues or any of that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, 
I don't see the the phone kind of gaming like prospect working for me out at all. Like even you know plugging into an external motor or monitor using a controller, all that stuff. You're right, Fox, and it's like it's just too many layers. I think uh, and just barriers to entry. Apple TV, maybe you know the ecosystem is so tied down. That's the big big issue. You know, I know there's mm-hmm. uh, things with the European Union that are going to maybe open some of these side loading options up, and so that might actually give us you know some room to work with. And then the other part is going to be Mac gaming, right? Like, I, I think that that's probably the one where there's a lot of potential there. I did an emulation video on Mac not too long ago, and I was really surprised at how well everything worked. Uh, and I know that the Emudec team is working on something as well to kind of synchronize all that together. And so, yeah, I can see it on Mac way more than on, like, Apple TV or even on the phone, yeah. And the chips that are in the, the Macs are bananas fast like they are right. really really good like i i throw i made a video i had i had this camera recording at 4k 24 uh, a top-down camera recording at 4k 24 i threw both of those in final cut pro i didn't even bother closing all of my other stuff and i could just scrub through this stuff with no problem which for people who don't do video editing that's impressive you know, yeah. I could just scrub through anything. These are really performant chips. Um, I remember Baldur's Gate 3 just got updated for Mac, and it's supposed to, like, run now because when it first came out, it would not launch. Uh, I need to load that up on my Mac and see uh, how it performs on, on the M2 Mac. Um, but a lot of times, it does, it does not perform well because it's just not optimized for this hardware, you know, because, like, it's an afterthought. Uh, most mm. of the time and one of the things uh carrie that you're like why didn't apple they only spent 12 minutes talking about or 12 seconds talking about steam i'll tell you why because they don't want you to buy any games on steam they want you to buy them from their freaking app store that's good uh, and that that's one of the reasons why they didn't pay any attention to steam because they're like all right pe- some people are going to care about this but we want you to buy our games on the app store uh because we can take 30 percent of that instead of valve taking 30 percent of that we get nothing so uh, I, I'm, I'm very curious what everybody else thinks. Do you play games on your phones? Uh, let us know in the comments uh, down below. Any other topics that you guys want to, to hit before we get out of here? Um, there's one thing I want to talk about, the thing that um, Jerry Rig Everything does. Um, I, I, don't, I guess on box therapy, like he became super famous because he tried to taco a phone. Uh, and oh, he did right. talk- that's the guy that bent the phone? Yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Uh, as a general thing, um, <laughs> I, I don't like iPhones, right? I am mm-hmm. against people trying to taco phones as a measure of durability. Um, when I see people just like, you know, like really struggling, like, oh, look at that. I tacoed it. And I go, all right. <laughs> well, you tried real hard to do it. <laughs> right. I don't know what this proves. But apparently, like, other phones resisted different amounts of that. Um, so that's compelling in one way or another. This is just something I want to talk about as it relates to iPhones and tacoing phones as a thing. Um, I'm not sure that iPhone, especially like the 15, the titanium one, deserves the whatever that they're getting. Like, oh, it's not as durable. I think the phone's plenty durable. Well, insofar as what everyone decided was premium, right? This is a whole other topic that we need to talk about outside of that. But uh, mm. I think it's undue um, criticism towards the titanium whatever. Yeah, well, I can understand, like, 
If, if you were worried about it, you having it in your back pocket, first off, why are you putting it in your back pocket? Are you a barbarian? Put it in your front pocket, people. Uh, but secondly, um, that's not a scientific test. He's just testing it with his hands. You got to have yeah. like a machine that always does it exactly the same amount. Yeah, and this one exactly. used this much force in order to taco. I've never heard that phrase to taco the phone. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, they just look at him, right? Like, what are you attempting yeah. to do here? <laughs> it's a slate. Why are you trying to bend it? Right. With it's your a very phone? natural use case right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, guys, we can make a lot of money if we make a YouTube channel where we start folding all of your handhelds in half. <laughs> YouTube.com slash taco phone. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, not <laughs> phone. Like your handhelds. Like we got oh. to fold the Steam Deck in half. Yeah. All, right, uh, all that stuff. How many taco units does it take? Oh, this is four, <laughs> four taco units. <laughs> <laughs> four taco units. Um, real quick before we get out of here, I, I found this to be kind of interesting. Mortal Kombat 1 running on the Switch looks like a dumpster fire. And it costs $70. And a lot of people are like, they shouldn't be charging $70 because the graphics are that bad. But are we paying for graphics or are we paying for the features? Because apparently, the uh, you know, in the game, it's got the same features. It's got feature parity with the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. And you bought a Nintendo Switch knowing that it was not the most powerful thing when it came out seven years ago. First off, should... They have put that game out on the Switch at all. And secondly, do you feel like they sh like they should be given that shade for charging $70 for it on the Switch? Because I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, Russ? Yeah, I, I think I, I'm on the camp where I think it's kind of dumb to expect anything beyond that. So, like, here's here's the way I think about it. I remember when The Witcher 3 came out and when Doom came out on the Switch. And everyone's like, look at how... This is actually playing on this hardware. That's amazing. Yeah, the graphics aren't so good, but it's working, right? And now we're at this point where it's like, it's not only is it working, but it's not working well enough for me. Like, I don't know. I think you get what you pay for, like in terms of the hardware itself that you bought, not the game. You know, it's a $70 property or whatever it happens to be. If you don't want to pay that much for a game, then wait two months and it'll be $60. Wait six months, it'll be 50 or 40 And so... Mm -hmm. The way I see it is that it's a dumb argument. I, even when people are showing the screenshots between them, I'm like, yeah, it's a Nintendo Switch. Like, it's pretty cool that you even got it, you know? And so, yeah, I, I got no qualms about that. It's like when Donkey Kong Country came out on the Game Boy, and, it's like, no one was mad that it wasn't in color. Like, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a Game Boy game. And it had all sorts of parody, like, features that, like, had been dropped down, like, pared down. And so, mm -hmm. in that sense... Yeah, I don't know. Like you, it's the hardware issue, and you're you're paying. You paid for that hardware. That's what kind of performance you can expect. And so I, I don't know. I, I just wouldn't have bought it on that console. Yeah, you know, uh, that would have been the thing I would have done. But yeah, right, Carrie. Do you think that the company is out for putting it out on the Nintendo Switch, or do you feel like they have no choice because there's so many Nintendo Switches out there? Uh, yeah. I mean, going back to what we said, uh, even with the undervolting, it's. That sounds like some a uh, great thing for someone else to do, right? Like the Nintendo Switch you buy because it is underclocked like crazy and has really good battery life. Mm -hmm. I mean, the newest ones has five hours of battery life and it's super light, doesn't get hot. You don't hear the fan. You are paying for that experience and you're paying for other games to be made to work inside of that scope. So, yeah, I mean, there are 
there are people that don't want to bother with configuring a game and pairing it back until it gets running. Uh, and the, this company, like, they made it that way to run on that. There also needs to be said that, yeah, you're paying $70 for it now. You don't have to pay $70 for it now. You can wait for it to go on sale. But there's also the very real possibility that when the Switch, the Super Switch comes out, you'll be able to put that game in and download an update to run it in Super Switch mode that ha is going to be able to run it better. There is that possibility that that could happen. Um, so now you paid for it a while ago, but now your game has been upgraded. Much like a lot of Xbox 360 games got updated on the Xbox Series uh, X when they went to 4K uh, and all those enhancements just came over, even if you already bought it. So um, it's kind of like the same deal there, where that's a possibility that that could happen if the company does the work to enhance it. Um, so number one, you are... You bought it because it's easy to use and you're guaranteed that whatever game you're going to buy on there is going to work, however it's going to work. Um, the shortcomings of the Switch being as they are, it is still amazing for what it's doing, um, and I never found that to be a, a valid argument. Because when you think about it, it's taking less power than an LED light bulb, um, so <laughs> it's impressive in any metric that you look at it, especially when you consider how old it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, the better analogy I should have made was the first Mortal Kombat when it came out on home consoles. We had the Super Nintendo, the Genesis, and the Game Boy versions all launched at the same time. And they were completely different games because they were limited by the hardware. They were trying to play a game. You know, the arcade game was so much better than those home console versions. But they all cost the same amount, you know, and that's just kind of how it's always been. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that that's going to do it for this episode of the Nerd Nest Podcast. Um, Russ, you just put out a video this morning. What is that video? Uh, I reviewed the 8-BitDo mechanical keyboard. Uh, I've just been a little bit burnt out by doing handhelds all the time because, you know, you have to remember I put 40 to 60 hours of work into every single video, and that's me pushing on buttons for a long time. And so I just needed a break. And so instead of pushing on buttons, I pushed on keyboard keys. And so that was actually a really fun video. I actually learned myself what switches mean, what, you know, caps mean, and all those different, like, acronyms and whatnot. So I learned all that, and then I put it all into like a 24-minute video about mechanical keyboards, and then also reviewing that one. And it's it's a great little keyboard, and it's modeled after the NES. It's pretty cool looking. Gary, did you pick up one of those? Uh, no, I want to, though. Uh, uh, so I know Russ had it, but I have some friends that have it, and I saw some pictures, and I'm like, oh, I forgot to get that. And I saw how awesome it looked, and I love how it looks. But now the NES version of it is like delayed until like mid-October or something. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, ah. Oh. Of course. Um, uh, but yeah, that's where I am. Speaking of 8-bit, though, I do I am going to be reviewing the arcade stick pretty soon. Mm. Um, I got that in. Uh, but uh, the video I'm actually working on trying to get out today is Ambernix uh, 405V, which I've had video done for a while, but I never got around to doing it in Italy. And I was missing video anyway, so I'm just going to like kind of finish that up. And that's the next video that I have coming. But I'm actually quite behind on a bunch of stuff. All right. Well... Uh, I'm going to let you guys get out of here so you can uh, get your work done. And uh, I know that Russ has a game plan behind him, and we were going to guess it. But it occurs to me that I don't know how this video is going to come together. And I don't know if you guys will be able to see it uh, mm. in the background because there's three of us. Uh, so, And I don't have the ability, like the software that I'm using, I it doesn't work the way that it used to. And I need to see how things work before we do that. So I'm going to hold on to that for the next time. <laughs> Uh, but that does it for this episode of the Nerd Nest Podcast. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcasting app, 
go ahead and rate it five stars or whatever and head on over to the youtube channel and hit subscribe also make sure you go to youtube.com slash retro game core and youtube.com slash the fox and subscribe to their channels as well and uh, i guess that that is going to do it for this episode we will see you all next time thanks for hanging out and uh take it easy everybody bye bye